Future Proof Extra from News Talk. Now, how can something be in two places at once? How can objects in completely different locations affect each other at the same time? These are just some of the questions that quantum physicists are trying to answer, and they've come up with six ideas. Here to tell us about some of them is John Gribben. He's a visiting fellow in astronomy at the University of, U- of Sussex and author of Six Impossible Things. Welcome to the programme, John. Be with you. Wish I could be there in person. Uh, in two, or two places in the same time. That's right. Ah. Um, so, John, before we, we get into the, the sort of our, our understandings or explanations of, of the quantum world, what is it that's so different about what happens on a teeny tiny quantum level as opposed to what happens in the, the real, the sort of macro world that we all live in where if you throw a ball in the air, you can expect it to fall down, that things don't occupy two places at once and so on? Well, that really is the point. I mean, we, we're used to what we think of as common sense because it's the way the world works for us um, rather large beings, you know, dropping balls on the ground and stuff like that. But when you're down at the level of atoms and smaller, things just don't behave that way. Uh, a particle, an entity is a better word, changes from one position or one state to another without passing through anything in between. Um, hydrogen atoms, for example, I mean, they... They can radiate energy and change from one state to another state, but there is nothing in the middle. They're either here or they're there. And also, they can be both here and there, which is uh, not common sense. But why should it be? Because they're, they're not the same size as us. So, so the, the idea is that there are things that are happening that we can, we can observe, like, for exa- as, you, as you mentioned, that uh, sort of what seems to be sort of teleportation or sort of telepathy in a way of, of things, not, not of people, that happen, yeah, that, 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 it, that our, our, our current laws of physics just do not explain. Yeah, that, um, what you call telepathy is called entanglement by, by the quantum physicists. Uh, and two things that have once um, been together, interacted or touched, if you like, forever afterwards in the quantum world, they know about each other in some way. So if you had um, two electrons that bounce off each other and disappear in opposite directions, if you then poke one of them somehow with an electromagnetic field or something, the other one will know that the first one's been poked instantly without any time passing. So they're part of the same system. They're entangled. Uh, And this is true right across the board at the subatomic level. Um, everything is, is in somehow connected to everything else, uh, and, and that is what makes it non-commonsensical. Is that the same mechanism that allows one twin to know when the other twin has stubbed his foot, for example? Well, that's, that's what a lot of people would like to think. Um, I've never seen any real evidence for that, but yeah, um, people talk about that, and I, I, I know um, some twins who, who say they've experienced things like that, uh, and if there is anything in it, then presumably there's something going on at the quantum <laughs> level, yeah. Um, there is a great podcast. Uh, if you uh, follow us and you're interested in, in understanding quantum mechanics, there's a great sort of explainer that we did um, uh, a few years ago that's in the podcast feed this week. Do check it out. So if we just imagine that we understand that the world acts differently at this quantum level, mm-hmm. then we can move to the idea of trying to figure out why. And your book is about six different... Um, uh, interpretations of this quantum world and we're, we're only really going to touch on three of them because A, we want people to buy the book <laughs> and, yeah. and B, also uh, it, it they can be quite tricky so I, I'd like you to first maybe start off with, with um, the Copenhagen interpretations, this sounds quite lofty but it's a sort of a way of understanding how things work, work at this tiny level 
Yeah, well, the, the, the thing to get a grip on is that the equations work whichever interpretation you fancy. There are a set of equations that describe what's going on, and if you want to build a computer or design a laser, you can use the equations without worrying about the interpretation. Hmm. And that's sort of the attitude is, well, as long as the calculation works, I don't care. But increasingly, physicists do care, and they're trying to explain what's, quote, really going on. And, and the Copenhagen interpretation was the first of these explanations, and it became established as what was taught for many, many years and decades. But that doesn't make it the best one. It's just the, the traditional one. And this says that when you have a, a, a quantum system uh, and it's proceeding about its business with it's got various options, what it might do, and an atom might go in one direction or another, or it, it might emit light or not, it doesn't actually, in a sense, decide what to do until someone has a look to see what's going on. And at that point, it, and that's called the collapse of the wave function, which is at the heart of the Copenhagen interpretation. And it's summed up um, by Erwin Schrodinger, who, who poked fun at it by saying it's absolutely ridiculous, by inventing his famous cat-in-a-box thought experiment, not a real experiment. He says, you imagine a cat that shut up he said in a room, but it's, it's come down to us as in a box, with what he called a diabolical experiment that's going to, with exactly 50-50 chance, either kill the cat or not kill the cat. And it's a quantum system involving radioactivity and so on. And according to the Copenhagen interpretation, until a human being opens the door of the room and has a look, the cat hasn't decided whether it's dead or alive. So it's either both dead and alive or it's neither uh, and then the system collapses, the wave function collapses into one state or the other. And that is the interpretation I, on my life. That is the interpretation that I was taught and generations were taught as the right way to think about the quantum world. It, well, but, but it should also be expressed that, as you say, this sort of interpretation, um, the mathematics sort of would support this in one way, but oh. but also... All of the interpretations are a bit mad. I mean, they, they we're working, you're sort of like working with sort of weird stuff anyway. So none of them, for me, they only get madder, the, the, the interpretations of, of this. Well, I mean, yeah, well, mad doesn't mean wrong in this case. And, yeah. and madder doesn't mean more wrong. They, you know, we, we don't know which one's right, if any of them are right. And, and, and this is the, the, the point, the whole puzzle there must be surely something going on that we don't understand at a more fundamental level. And one day we'll find it, we hope, and then all these things will either make sense or they'll disappear in a puff of smoke and we won't need them. But yeah, the, the Copenhagen interpretation is crazy. The other five interpretations are crazy as well. So, you know, don't be put off it just because it's crazy. I mean, yeah. I, I don't particularly like it, but there you are. So just to fully understand it then, the Copenhagen interpretation says that basically... These these particles are everything until somebody looks at them and then they become one thing. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, the, the, the electron, if you have an electron going about its business, traveling along happily, it, it behaves like a wave, we, we, we think, from various experiments. But then if you try to measure it, you put a, 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 a detector screen in front of it, hits a detector screen, and it makes a single spot of light. So it, it's like it travels as a wave, and then becomes a particle when, when you look at it. Uh, and it, it's, it's the same with all quantum systems, uh, that they don't decide what they're doing until you poke them, according to the Copenhagen view. But, but um, what defines, because that sounds crazy as an idea, what defines observing them? Uh, uh, like, 
is it is it a person looking at them? Like, is is this idea possibly suggesting that an electron doesn't know what what form it's going to take until a human being looks at it? Yeah, this is this is where it gets completely crazy. I mean, people then say, well, if um, if the cat doesn't know if it's dead or alive, I mean, surely a cat can tell. So why can't the cat collapse the wave function, or or why can't a flea collapse the wave function? Or if you go in the other direction, you say, well, you know, if if nothing is real in the sense until we look at it, is it possible that the universe didn't exist until the first astronomers came along and had a look out there and and made the universe collapse? You know, you can you can draw extreme examples in both directions, uh, and yes, it it's, it doesn't make sense at all. But as we keep saying, the equations that describe all this process work. So if you want to just, you know, uh, shut up, you know, stick your fingers in your ears and say, I, I don't want to know about the interpretations, don't, don't tell me, you can do the calculations. It sort of reminds me of the, the beginning of anesthetics, you know, that, that um, at the early days people understood that you could put someone under anesthetic and, mm. and that, that they wouldn't feel pain and you could bring them out of it. And they had no idea what was going on in the middle bit. But they, but they knew that when they came out of it, they were okay and they didn't feel pain. And they knew right. when they were going into it that they were normal. But what was actually going on in the brain and the body was completely misunderstood. And so, they, you know, and, and, I, and it's still not fully understood. But, um, but it's an interesting idea that this is sort of grey area, like a magic box. You put it in and stuff comes out. Um, so, so, so that's the um, Copenhagen interpretation. My favourite of these, of course, is the many worlds interpretation. <laughs> So uh, explain what, what the many worlds uh, view is when it comes to, to understanding how things, how things behave in this tiny world. Okay, well, the, the many worlds version says that all the quantum possibilities are real. And the, the, the good old Schrodinger's cat experiment um, really is, is the simplest way to get a handle on this as well. Uh, and this says that in that case, there are two different universes. They're identical to one another except that in one universe the cat dies and in the other universe the cat lives. So when the scientist opens the door of the lab and has a look inside to see what state the cat's in, all he's really doing is discovering which universe he lives in or she lives in. Uh, and, and, and so nothing is, is collapsing, uh, nothing is in an indeterminate state of, of being neither one thing nor the other, which, which is called a superposition. Uh, the only problem with that is that you then have to allow for the existence of a vast array, potentially an infinite array of universes in which all possibilities are, are happening somehow. And, and um, astrophysicists are as comfortable with this idea in some way as, as quantum um, physics. Uh, yeah, I mean, astrophysicists are particularly comfortable with it. They, they love this idea. <laughs> and and uh, Stephen Hawking in particular was a, was a great proponent of it because it's a way of explaining how the universe began. Now, it's, um, obviously, I can't go into all the details here, but uh, he, his idea, uh, which he developed with some of his colleagues, is that what we think of as the beginning of the universe is not actually a, a, a beginning in, in terms of an, an edge of time, if you like, but it was kind of a, a coalescence uh, of many possibilities, uh, which became these many worlds and that they have to all exist in order to avoid there being a, a sharp edge to, to, the, to the universe at the beginning. So I want to uh, ask so, a question about that, because it sounds sort of like a Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors um, yeah. explanation for the world, that there are lots of different possibilities and you just choose one. But in, in that case, 
surely we if you were in any of those universes, if you were in storyline A, you know, all, all the way and you open a door and that was storyline mm. A and so on and so forth, then surely you wouldn't ever notice anything outside of the universe you're in. And so I don't understand how the quantum element appears in that world because you you can't know of what's going on behind the door until you open it. And so... So how, well, how, 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 does, how does the quantum element enter this equation? The, the, the point is that you don't have to do this collapse of the wave function thing. Nothing collapses. Uh, and in fact, it was, um, it was Schrodinger again who, who came up with this idea first, although a, an American called Hugh Everett came up with it a little bit later. But Schrodinger um, thought of this when, when he was working in Dublin. And it's another way of... of, of getting away from the cat puzzle, the Copenhagen interpretation. And he stressed that in, in all of these equations, which work so beautifully, there's nothing about collapse. The collapse is purely something that was bolted on uh, by the people who, who tried to explain things in, in that way. And, and all you have is the equation describing the different situations, what physicists call states, and they're all equally valid, equally real. So, so why can't they all exist? And the fact that we don't notice them is no more surprising uh, in, a, in a really than, than the, the fact that we don't notice that we're standing on a globe that's whizzing around the sun and moving through space around the galaxy. You know, we, we just don't notice it because we don't have the senses to be aware of it. it that doesn't mean it's impossible. Mm. And, and finally, quantum decoherence. God, I, I'm wondering if people listening to this program for the first time have just gone, what, what is this doing on the radio? But but what is we're trying to understand the nature of of uh, quantum mechanics, and so so the 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 forces that drive these weird things that happen on a really microscopic level that don't happen in in the real world that we all live in, uh, because because understanding that is 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 really understanding everything, uh, and we've arrived at our third sort of idea as to how this comes about, and it's quantum decoherence. Well, to have decoherence, you've got to have something that's coherent to start with. And what people mean, scientists mean by coherence, is when things are, uh, in a sense, moving in step and, and they're in order. And there's a, a nice analogy you can make with the Mexican wave you get at, at a sports stadium. You know, if everyone raises their arms at the right time, you get this wave going round and round, that's coherent because everything's in order. And if people just raise their arms and drop them at random, then you just get a jumble of waving arms. And that's, that's actually incoherent. Um, but the, the, the people who, who like this theory don't like to say it's incoherent, so they say that it's decohered. <laughs> uh, and their argument is that if you've got a pure quantum system like a, a hydrogen atom or an electron sitting on its own, minding its own business, then it'll behave exactly in line with all these um, peculiar things that we've been talking about. Um, but if it interacts with anything else, then it gets jumbled up. And but as they put it, it decoheres. And I would say it becomes incoherent. And as soon as that atom interacts with another atom and another atom and another atom, all the quantumness gets sort of jumbled up and lost. Uh, and so it's... it's a, <laughs> that sounds uh, like uh, such made-up terminology. All the quantumness gets all jumbled up because the atoms yeah. stick together. You, you see, that we don't have words to describe all this, <laughs> but people, in, people invent words, you know, right. like, like superposition and decoherence and entanglement. Uh, and and um, the, the great 
physicist Arthur Eddington many years ago when all this stuff was first being discussed in the 1920s. He, he quoted from uh, Lewis Carroll, and he said there's a passage in Lewis Carroll in uh, the, 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 the slidey toes did gyre and gimbal in the wave. And he said that's actually just as good as we, if we say an electron is in orbit around a, a nucleus in an atom. Uh, so you can you can use nonsense language or made up words mm. or whatever. Um, but so yeah. Th- so the that, the idea is so the idea of this this theory is that the bigger something it gets, the less quantum powers it has, exactly. and so in yeah, it, and, and so that there's a sort of a straight line from from the, the the sort of size of an electron to human beings and tigers and planets where we we aren't quantum at all and that would sort of explain why things happen differently that's exactly it and it sounds absolutely beautiful and wonderful except for one snag which is that when you actually put the numbers in and try and work out the equations you find that each quantum particle has to be aware in, in some sense of every other quantum particle in the universe. It can't just do it with the stuff it's, it's sort of bouncing off next door. <laughs> right. So so there needs to be some sort of telepathy between all atoms in the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, what, okay. what you're calling telepathy. Yeah, yeah. I'll, so, so, I'll get shot by my colleagues. No, indeed. A communication. Entang- a, a entanglement. Commu- yeah, yeah, entanglement. But so some sort of communication between all living things, uh, yes, which, which you, you could start... As a com- communication across space and and maybe across time as well that 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 everything is connected to everything else and and this is um not entirely a new idea because it goes right back to um isaac newton he puzzled over something very similar involving gravity if you have if you use something as simple as 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 stirring a, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee you you get this dip in the middle because the, the liquid's swirling round and round uh, and uh, it, it's sort of being pushed up the sides. And uh, the question is, what's it measuring its spinningness, its rotation relative to? And you can do an experiment where you, you hang a bucket. Newton literally did this. You hang a bucket on a rope, fill it up with water, and you twist it round so the rope's twisted and let it go. And if the water is spinning, it always makes this concave surface. And it doesn't matter whether the bucket's spinning and the water isn't, or they're both spinning, you know, so it's not aware in a sense of what the bucket's doing. It's measuring its spin relative to the whole universe out there. And Newton worried about this in terms of gravity. And now quantum physicists have to worry about essentially the same thing. So it's a decoherence. So is it possible using technology we have today or technology that we might build in the near future, knowing what we know now, to test any of these six ideas to see if they're right? There's the- one. There's one test that could possibly happen, uh, and maybe within five or ten years, and it involves um, quantum computers, which is a whole other story in itself. But they're computers that operate on quantum principles, and so the the, the bits in the computer sense, the on-off switches inside them, are things like single atoms that are in, in different quantum states. And it is conceivable that a quantum computer could be aware of itself operating in many worlds in, in, in that kind of language, that you, you could set it a problem and it would think about the problem and while it was thinking about the problem, it would interact with, with other worlds in, in the many worlds and then come out with an answer. And if it was, for want of a better word, intelligent enough, it would be able to tell you, oh, while I was 
working that out, I felt myself split into many different components. And that's a, 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 the motivation of, of one of the leading um, quantum computer theorists, a guy called David <laughs> Deutsch in Oxford, and, and that's why he's interested in quantum computing. He thinks it will be possible to test the many worlds idea that way. Do, do you know, the, I mean... It's only fitting after all the weird stuff that we've discussed that the the ending idea is that one day we might know the answer by asking a computer to do a really tricky sum and along the way ask if it noticed whether or not it had visited multiple universes. That is just peak quantumness, isn't it? Uh, really brilliant speaking with you. John Gribben, visiting fellow in astronomy at the University of Sussex and author of Six Impossible Things. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been lovely. Thank you.